Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Been in the series on marriage today. In fact, we're kind of f- finishing up the, ins- the, the series, For Better or For Worse. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author, theologian, novelist, um, in the 1950s went to a conference on comparative religions, and, uh, and he was asked a question in this conference, and the, the question was, what's different about Christianity as compared to other religions? Like, is there any kind of significant difference? Is there anything different, really? You know, are they all just pretty much the same, is what he was asked. He paused for a second, and he said, that's easy. It's one word, grace. Now, I know that that might be debated by especially others from other religions, but the point he was making is that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's what has us here. You're here this morning because you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? Do you believe that? I know, I know, I know I'm here for that reason. In fact, if that had not been the case, I would not be here. But because of his grace, I am here and I'm worshiping him. It's, the, it's one of the most distinctive things about being a Christian is that we have received this grace and that we have an opportunity to celebrate that. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. We come together, we celebrate the fact that we have been forgiven, that we owed a debt and it's been canceled and we have received grace like no other, unmerited favor. It should mark us as Christians, in fact. Not only do we thank God for the grace that we have received, but we also realize that because we have received this grace, we should extend it to others and it's, it should be a distinctive of how we live our lives towards other people, gracious towards other people, especially, especially in our marriages. In Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus with this loaded question. He says to Jesus, <clears throat> he says, Lord, how many times do I forgive someone who has hurt me? Like hypothetically speaking, Lord, how many times? Like maybe seven, and he contributes an answer. He says seven. He suggests seven to Jesus. And he's probably thinking he's being a bit generous with grace because according to Jewish tradition, you were, you were uh, uh, supposed to forgive a person up to three times if they committed the same offense against you. So Peter's thinking, well, it's not three, it's seven. So you know, he's probably expecting Jesus to pat him on the back and say, man, Peter, you are so much like me. You're so gracious. Jesus, Jesus responds, though, and he says, no, Peter, not seven. How about 70 times seven? The NIV says 77 times. Basically, the point Jesus is making here is that grace never stops giving. Grace never ends. And I think it's something we should solidify in our thinking as followers of Christ, that grace never stops. Grace never, ever stops. I think a lot of our questions come around this. That's the, the question is, at what point can I stop extending grace? And of course, it has different understandings of what, they, what you mean by that when you ask that question. But grace never stops giving. 70 times 7, Jesus. But how do you do that? How do you forgive a person that many times? When they've hurt you 
How, how do you do that? How do you do this? What Jesus does, he launches into this parable to help us understand how this is possible to have that kind of grace. And I think that this is honestly, I know that we're talking about a, a term, a theological term that is a church term in many ways. But I think that um, this is something that all of us want. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are tired of walking around with the weight of having a relational breakdown in your home, in your family? Walking around with the feelings of, of, of hurt and disappointment towards somebody else. You're just tired of that. You want to be free from that. And I think Jesus is offering us an answer in this parable. So in Matthew 18, verse 23, he starts off. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So it's basically this high-powered CEO, wealthy guy is leaving town, and he wants to look at his books before he leaves town, and so he's going to settle accounts, and whoever is not paid up, he's going to try to collect, right? Verse 24, <clears throat> as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10, keep in mind, 10,000 bags of gold. How many of you wish you had 10,000 bags of gold today? I do. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, when Jesus says this, when Jesus says 10,000 bags of gold, immediately in the audience, as he's talking, in the audience, people start snickering because it sounds comical, like it's this absurd amount of money. In today's dollars, that would be like $6 billion. Like there's a guy out there that owes another guy $6 billion. And so like, who's that? I mean, is this a government? Is this like some military thing or whatever? I mean, who, who could possibly owe $6 billion, right? And so Jesus is telling, he says this about this guy, $6 billion. And the point that he's making here is that this is a debt that's so huge that whoever does owe that much money will never be able to repay it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And to think that you could would be comical. Verse 25, he says, since, <clears throat> since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. So this idea, this debt that Jesus is talking about here, this amount of money is meant to reflect our standing with God. Every single one of us, every single one of us owe a debt. You're not exempt from it. You might look at yourself, say, I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm a nice person. But you owe a debt. Every single one of us owe a debt. And you may know this or not know this, but it is impossible for you to pay that debt. That's the idea behind this story. You owe an equivalent of 10,000 bags of gold. Six billion you will never be able to repay that debt except for the grace of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we have a bill that we'll never be able to pay. Now, oftentimes when we know that, when we come to this realization, what happens is we do a couple things. Uh, we might, for example, we might, the way, what we, what we might do is we might compare ourselves to somebody else, right? Like if I realize, okay, I, man, I owe God a lot. But at least, this is what I say to myself, at least well, I'm not as bad as him, right? Like I might owe six billion, but he owes 10 billion. As if that kind of somehow makes me feel better and allows me to say, well, you know, one day I'll be able to pay that debt off. I'm good enough, I'm good enough. 
So we sometimes, sometimes compare ourselves when we think about the debt that we owe. Sometimes what we do is we ignore it. Like we, don't, we just don't want to talk about it. Kind of do this like with bills. You know, like I know nobody in this room does that. I know you, none of you done that. I, I may or may have not done this. <laughs> but you know, don't have enough money in the bank. A bill shows up in the mail. And I decide I'm not going to open it. Like if I just ignore it, it goes away. You know, like they can't do anything if I don't see it, right? Or it starts collecting in your mailbox, you know, and you just know this bill keeps coming, bill keeps coming. You just ignore it. In fact, I think that this is a reason why a lot of people don't come to a place like this, a church like this, because walking in here is just going to remind them of the debt that they owe. And so it's just easier to ignore it. It's easier to think like it's just not there. We just stay away. We just, it's this outstanding balance that we cannot pay. Verse 26 says this. At this, okay, so there's a debt he cannot pay. At this, the servant fell on his knees before his master and said, be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. No, you won't. <laughs> you can't pay back everything. <clears throat> the servant's master took pity on him. Listen to this. Canceled the debt. Cancel the debt and let him go. Six billion dollars. Sometimes we read, you know, the Bible and we hear, oh, 10,000 pound uh, bags of gold. And we think, well, those must have been like these little tiny bags or something, you know, little tiny, little tiny little bags. Like they don't, they wasn't worth that much, you know. Six billion dollars canceled. Doesn't say that he extended the note, doesn't say that he restructured the loan so you know you have the lower interest rate, reduced the payment. He just cancels it, cancels it. He erases it completely. And this is this incredible act of grace that's extended here. Verse 28. But when that servant, okay, the servant who had been forgiven six billion dollars, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. So 100 silver coins would have been what you would have paid a daily laborer. A person comes, works all day long, you give them 100 silver coins, that's payment for that day. About 80 bucks, let's say. Found a servant who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. Like, this is a guy who's been forgiven $6 billion, and then he walks out of that meeting after having been forgiven $6 billion and goes to this other guy and says, you owe me 80 bucks. Pay me back. It just seems kind of crazy and ludicrous. Like, who, who would possibly do that, right? But I think we do that all the time in different ways. I think sometimes we come to church like here and we experience worship and the Holy Spirit starts moving in this place and we feel his presence and we raise our hands and we worship. We thank him for his grace. Maybe we walk in and say, God, will you forgive me of my sin? And we, feel, we walk out feeling forgiven. And then we get in our van and we look at our wife and we pick right up where we left off with our argument on the way to church. Like we didn't forget. Yeah, yeah, like I've been forgiven. God has forgiven, but I didn't forget the, this thing that, we were, that was going on. And so we do that a lot. We kind of get grace, but don't always extend it. Verse 29, this man falls on his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. And if you don't know the story, you would think that the guy's, sure, I'll pay you back. I mean, I just got forgiven eight, $6 billion. I'm gonna pay you, I'll let you 
walk with, you know, the $80 you owe me. Verse 30 says, but he, but he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they, were, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. <clears throat> and then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he calls him. The master is the one who forgave the $6 billion. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had just as I had on you. In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed, which would have been never. And so basically, this person who has been forgiven six billion has to spend the rest of his life in agony and regret that he didn't extend grace. And I hope that you hear that this morning. I hope that you understand that we, we are called as followers of Christ we have received grace, and so we should extend grace, right? And we love to talk about grace, especially when we're on the receiving end. But when it's time to give it, it gets a little bit harder, more complicated. It's a little bit messier. I get that. Often Jesus would, you know, challenge us on that. Like, that's why I'm calling you to do this. It's, it's challenging. It's difficult. But he doesn't shrink back. He says, this is what we're supposed to do. Now, in this parable, what Jesus does, he then, you know, kind of, normally when Jesus tells a parable, he doesn't always resolve the parable. Like he says the story and you hear it and people are supposed to walk away trying to figure out what he, what he meant by that. He's talking about these kingdom ideas, but he's using everyday language. But in this particular case, Jesus actually explains the parable. This is the meaning of the parable he just told. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister or husband or wife or father or mother or child. Go on, the list can go on. Forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I know what's happening. I I hear the wheels spinning in your head right now. Rich, are you telling me, are you trying to tell me that, that, that if I don't forgive him, he hurt me and he, and he abused me and, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's cheated on me or she's done these things against me and all that. If I don't forgive them, then God's not going to forgive me? Are you telling me that? No, I'm not, but Jesus is, actually. <clears throat> he just makes it clear. I mean, it's difficult. There's no question about it. It's challenging. But essentially saying it's not okay to come and accept the grace of God in your life and then make the choice to not extend grace to someone else. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you're, you're not going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to work towards it. I'm just saying you cannot decide. You cannot make the decision. I will not give grace. Not as a follower of Christ. You cannot make that decision. That's just not an option. If you've received it, you give it. And I get it. It's a journey. <clears throat> it's not easy. You may be owed a lot, in fact. You, you may be owed an entire marriage. That's for sure. But we don't have the choice to not give grace. No. If, you've given, if, you've, if you've received it, you, you need to give it. Colossians 3.13 says, for, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So, so how do we do that? 
how do we give grace, especially when it's very difficult, difficult circumstances? John Gottman, he's this relationship expert. He's not a believer, but he has a lot of good ideas of what he talks about. Um, He talks about the, he calls calls them the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse of a difficult or challenging marriage, miserable marriage. Um, And he says there's these four behaviors that miserable marriages have in common. Okay, and and then he lists them out. I'm going to list them out really quickly. The first one is this, criticism. And that is, it's, you know, obviously you know what criticism is. Look into your spouse through this lens of fault finding. Always constantly noticing and pointing out their flaws and pointing out their failures. The second one is defensiveness. You understand that, right? Anytime you're in a conversation, you're always defensive. You're always reacting, right? Third one is stonewalling. This is where a spouse withdraws, maybe emotionally withdraws from the, from the relationship, basically checks out, says, hey, there's nothing that really can be done in this relationship, so we're just going to be business partners. We're just going to be roommates over the next whatever years, right? And then the last one that he, he says, number four, is contempt. And Gottman concludes that contempt is the biggest the biggest predictor of a disastrous marriage. Oftentimes, contempt, he says when he has, in his counseling sessions, of when he's seen this, he says it's, this is pretty much, the next step is just divorce. Contempt. And that is, it's not a word we use a lot, but that's this idea of bitterness and resentment, sarcasm, criticism that is personal and demeaning and hurtful, condescending. Now, when I look at these four behaviors, here's what I think about. I, I, I realize this is, these are realities, in fact, there might be some of you in this room that this is, you're in this arena somewhere. There are some of these things are manifesting and displaying in your relationship. I get that. But I look at this and I think that whether it's, if you're here, this is difficult, but even before it gets to this, grace is a solution. Grace is a solution. <clears throat> Godman talks about building a culture of what he calls a culture of fondness, and admiration in your relationship. How do you have fondness and admiration towards a person you're living with? And I submit to you that without grace, you cannot. You need grace. So, um, I don't know if you've, uh, how many of you have ever seen the Claritin commercial? You know what Claritin is, right? Everybody knows what Claritin is, that drug that you know is for allergies and stuff. Ever seen this Claritin commercial where they would show, it was, they would show like this, uh, it was an image, it was on TV, it was an image of a person, they're sneezing and it's fuzzy and the colors aren't that bright, you know, and then all of a sudden the person takes the Claritin pill and, and then it's the, in the, on, on TV what you see is a screen, there's like a, a film that comes off the screen of the TV and suddenly you can see they're bright and they can see everything clear, clearly, you know. That's this idea. I have a picture here of Raphael. Sorry, Raphael. Raphael's our, this is our campus pastor in Wilton. I did, not, I did not ask for permission to do this, but I thought I'd just do it. <laughs> He'll get back to me at some point. Um, but the, the, the idea is this, right? That, that, you know, without taking the medication, you know, your life feels this way. It feels fuzzy. It feels not in no color. It's blurry. It's not that great. But then after the medication, you see clearly and all that. And I submit to you that grace is like that pill. That with grace, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to see clearly. 
Without grace, oftentimes the way we look at other people is this way. We don't see them. We don't see clearly. We don't see the relationship clearly. And it gets very difficult for us. I I believe grace is the lens that we need. And Jesus uniquely gives us that lens. Like there's something wrong. There's something wrong when we have received grace, but we're not willing to give it. When the way our lives are walking and, and the way we feel about our relationship with God looks something like this, but we make the choice to make our relationship with that significant other in our life like this. There's something wrong with that. It's just a lack of understanding of his grace. So how do we do this in marriage? I'm gonna talk about five commitments, try to get through these quickly. Five commitments that I wanna encourage us all to do. We need to look at these beyond marriage, by the way. These commitments are not just about couples. This is about how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your kids, your coworkers, and all that kind of stuff as well. First thing is this. I'm going to, this first commitment, I will overlook the small things. I will overlook the the small things. I think this is a good place to start because here's the deal. In marriage, guess what? There are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of small things. When Jesus told Peter, hey, 70 times 7, Peter must have only been married for a couple of years. Because for those who have been married for longer than that, it's more like 70 times 7,000 right? There's a whole lot of little small things that come up that we can, you know, spend your entire married life arguing over, right? And so we make a choice to overlook the small things. I like what Proverbs 19.11 says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Notice what it says here. Um, So when you overlook an offense, you're looking at what somebody else did and you're just choosing to overlook it. Who does it benefit? Me. It benefits me to overlook your offense. Which is interesting. And we don't often see it that way, but that's what, that's what the, 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 the Solomon's trying to tell us here, right? It doesn't say forgive, it says overlook. And this idea of overlook is this idea of not noticing. Like God's grace should so fill our hearts, so affect our inner being that we look at another person and we don't see it. Like we don't, we choose not to be, we become the least sensitive, the least offendable people on the planet because of God's grace in our life. My wife uh, has a mirror in, in our bathroom. It's the magic mirror. <laughs> it's the one that you flip, you know, like one side is like normal and then you flip it and it's like, it's like magnified, you know. And, and she uses it every day. She's sitting here in the audience, so I have to be careful what I say. But I I do look at him like, but why? Why do, why go to that meticulous kind of examination of your face? Because honestly, out there, people don't have that kind of vision. There's 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 no person out there that looks at me and sees me the way that mirror sees me. Right? It's just like I close. As I don't understand necessarily why we do it, but for the sake of this illustration, I thought, I'm going to go look at the mirror. So I looked in the mirror. What a mistake. Because <laughs> here's, here's what happens. First of all, you look at a mirror like that, and instantly you gain 10 pounds. Instantly. <laughs> so don't, don't look at the, those mirrors. And then, and then you see blemishes you did not know you had. Like, wait a minute. That was not there before I looked at this mirror. Now it's there. That doesn't make sense. 
And then here I'm, my, you know, my wife talks about my Latin skin and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't have wrinkles. <laughs> I start looking in that mirror. And these wrinkles, they look like a documentary from like the Grand Canyon or something. Like I see all, all the wrinkles, you know. I don't, why, why would anybody do that? I think, I think for some of you, this is what it's like to live with you. Like you see everything, right? You're that mirror that holds up everybody's insecurities, everybody's failures, everybody's mistakes. You're quick to remind them. You're quick to point out the little things. And so this is a commitment to say, I'm going to overlook the small things. Number two, I will remember the good things. <clears throat> One of the most reliable ways to see if you're generous in your marriage or if you're generous with grace is to pay attention how a couple talks about their relationship history. Like, how do they talk about their relationship history? Like, if they look back and they say, yeah, you know, this is great. You know, it's just, it's, it's just looking at, research tells us that. Research says that couples who have a positive view of their, of their relationship past are generally happily married. That, that does not mean, listen to me, that does not mean that they don't have bad situations going on in their lives. It doesn't mean that they haven't gone through hardship. It doesn't mean that they haven't gone through betrayal and struggle. It just means that they have made a decision to look at their relationship history and think about the good things in their relationship. Grace allows us to refrain that. This is how God has loved you and me. The Bible tells us that when God looks at us, he doesn't look at Rich and say, Rich, yeah, that kid that was doing drugs and he was a fornicator and all that. No, that's not what God does. God looks at Rich, and he sees me without blemish, without stain. He makes a choice to see me that way because of the grace of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I know for some of you, you're really good at forgiving, but you really struggle with forgetting. Like I had somebody in my office once talk to me, we were talking about something in I'm not going to even reveal the gender. They literally said, I just need to remind him of the things that I have. Well, I just gave the gender away. I just need to remind him of the things that I have forgiven and forgotten. Because <laughs> it feels like he doesn't remember, right? <clears throat> Listen, grace allows us to move beyond. Grace allows us to move forward. It doesn't mean that all your hurts go away doesn't mean that healing is not required or needed. But we, when we understand how much we have been forgiven, when we understand how God sees us, we have an opportunity to look at our spouse a little bit differently. Number three, I will think about the positive things. This is the, giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt. It's like you choose the best possible explanation for their actions. Okay? Now, it's a again, we're talking about a choice here. We choose the best possible on the front end. You know, that might get proven wrong down the road, but on the front end, that's the choice that you make. The best possible. So you say to yourself, they walk in, they walk in from work, and they're just distracted and not paying attention to you. You have an option. You could say, she doesn't love me. She's never loved me. Or you could say, you know, they must have had a hard day at work. So I'm choosing to think positively about it. Philippians 4.8 tells, tells us this. 
Can see, grace does that. Grace gives you this explanation for, 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 for the relationship that we have with other people. Philippians 4, he says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about these things. What if we introduce that into our married relationship? What if we introduce these ideas? Let's talk about, let's think about the things that are, that are positive, the things that are pure, the things that are noble, the things that are right, the things that are lovely, right? Number four, I will focus on my things. <clears throat> Grace allows me to be aware of my stuff. Right? Not in a way that's, that, that's, you know, my things. Not in a way that's guilt-producing or, you know, makes you feel bad, but in a way of thankfulness. Like, I'm thankful for what he has done in my life. So I'm focusing on my things. And when I focus in on my things, I don't have time. I don't, I'm not, I don't have the ability to then look at my wife and say, look what she's got. Because I can't notice a speck in her eye because I'm fully aware of the plank in my own. Right? And then the last one, I will forgive the big things. I will forgive the big things. <clears throat> Matthew 18, 27. This is a story we were looking at. It says, the servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt and let him go. He canceled the debt. Another word for canceled here in this text, this could be translated as forgave the debt. Six billion dollars. That's not just chump change. Like, it's not small things here. It's big things. The master made a choice to cancel it. The master's all to stand. We're going to close here in a second. Here's what I think I, I realize it might be challenging for us when we talk about these things. As I'm talking about this, we're talking about marriage. The focal point of what you might be thinking about is me and my relationship with my spouse. Me and my husband, me and my wife. You might be, that's how you might be thinking about everything. So everything that comes out of my mouth and you hear it, you take it into your brain, it gets processed as, okay, how's this working for me and my relationship with my wife, with my husband? The challenge of this series has been for you to see how this works with you and your relationship with God. So we stop, we pause, and we say, okay, God, before I look at her or him, what have you canceled for my life? What have you done in me? How have you forgiven me? How have you cleansed my life? How have you, how have you blessed me? Like all those questions, I start looking at those things and pondering on those and thinking about those things. Here's what happens. Naturally, just naturally, it can start getting applied to our spouse. Now, some of you here, and you probably aren't follow, maybe may not be followers of Jesus Christ. You were invited by a friend here, and you look at all this that we're talking about, and you see people raising their hands and worshiping Jesus, and it might seem a little bit weird to you, but let me just tell you why it's weird to you. It's because we have been forgiven. We are celebrating. That's what it's all about. That's why people gather. That's why this happens, because we have been forgiven much. 
We've been set free from so much. Some of our marriage relationships in this house right now, in this room right now, would not be, would not exist without the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. I've heard story after story after story of that. Now, when I say that, just in, don't, don't interpret what I'm saying as it's been easy, it's been a cakewalk, you know what, just somebody laid hands, boom, that was done. No, they've had to walk through a lot of journey. They've had to walk through a lot of heartache. But you know what? Christ became focus center. And it was His grace. It was this grace to them. Then grace extended to others that actually made some th things start making sense in the relationship. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would experience that. For those of you that are just like starting out in this journey of marriage, just keep a constant reminder of what God has done in your life. Talk to your spouse about it. Share that with them. Let them know of how grateful you are for what he has done in you. It's amazing how that begins to extend itself to the other. For those of you that are down the road a little bit and you're like, I'm not even sure if I want to stay in this thing. I, there's so many unique situations, I can't even speak to every single one, but I can challenge you to, to think about the lens of grace. Try to do these, try to make these five commitments towards your spouse and see what happens. We have prayer teams here, left and right. We're going to worship here in a second, but I, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for our marriages in this room. I want to pray that God will just so move in your relationships in such a powerful way that, yeah, you are able to overlook some of the small things, that you're able to forgive some of the big things. For some of you, that's going to require a miracle of biblical proportions, that's for sure. We believe in miracles. We believe in the God that can do those miracles. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, that you right now, God, are speaking to hearts. And you're stirring us, Father. You're Maybe some in this room are feeling challenged. They're saying, how do I, how do I extend grace to him? How do I extend grace to her? I feel so hurt. I feel so betrayed. I feel so, so just disgusted with this person. God, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you speak, that you provide wisdom, that you challenge us because we have received it. Help us to give it. We ask in Jesus' name.